This morning we are in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 1. In those days, when a great crowd, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. Because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from very far away. Okay, it didn't say very, it just said far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. In our church this morning, we have a lot of people who are sick. We have a lot of people who have needs. And I want to just take a few moments to pray for some of our people. Would you bow and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. that you are our hope, that your presence is with us always. God, we thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for the gospel. God, we thank you that you are with us when we struggle, when we are sick, when we are uncertain, when we are anxious. God, I pray especially for Dan and Jody. I pray that your grace and your presence would be known to them this morning. Lord, we praise you with John and Kathleen, but we pray for your wisdom for them and for the doctors. Lord, we lift up Drake and Jan, John and Katie and their family, Nick and Sarah and their family, Mary Jean. Matt and Lauren, Steve, Randy and Angie, Esther and Dave, Vida, Will, Greg and the girls, Ruth. Lord, you know their needs. We pray that this morning they would know your presence and they would know your joy.
Lord, we do pray for healing for each one of these. But God, mostly we pray that they would know your joy. Lord, may we know our part in sharing one another's burdens, specifically these ones who are sick right now. Lord, use your word to encourage us, to challenge us, and God, yes, to change us. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So if I could have the map up there, guys. Last week, Jesus was in Galilee over on the kind of the top on the left there of the Sea of Galilee. And you will remember that we were flip-flopping the beginning of chapter 7 and the end of chapter 7. Um, so last week he was in Galilee where he talked with the Pharisees and, and then he talked to his disciples and, and uh, they, there was some conflict there about how do we define sin and defilement? And Jesus said, you guys are defining defilement and sin by your tradition instead of by God's word. From Galilee, he went up to Tyre and Sidon, which is off the map there to the top on the left. Places that were primarily Gentiles. But they had long histories with Israel. In Gather and Grow the last couple weeks on Wednesday night, we've been talking about uh, Solomon, and, uh, and we were reminded that David and Solomon dealt with Hiram of Tyre, the king of Tyre, to get wood for uh, building their houses, building the temple. And, uh, and we read that when David died, Hiram sent word to Solomon and said, I loved David. In a couple weeks, we'll be talking about Elijah. And remember, <clears throat> excuse me, he went to the widow of Zarephath. You remember that story? The, um, the widow whose flour and oil didn't run out. People from Tyre and Sidon showed up in Mark 3. You see it in verse 8. They were part of the crowd following Jesus, listening to what he said, some of them being healed. So from Sidon, Jesus came back to the Sea of Galilee, but he came down on your right side. Um, and uh, Pastor Preston talked about Decapolis, those ten cities, and he healed the deaf man who could not speak. And after he had done that, the people said, he does everything well. And then Jesus once again said something that we have a hard time understanding. He told them not to say anything about him. How do you tell a man who, who couldn't speak and couldn't hear and now can do both, how do you tell him to, oh, act like you can't hear and don't talk about it? Um, 
So Jesus told them not to talk about it, and again, the more he said that, the more they talked about it, and we get to chapter 8, verse 1, there was again a great crowd. Now we assume, being mostly a Gentile area, that this is mostly a Gentile crowd. And they had nothing to eat. We talked about this a month ago with the feeding of the 5,000. How do all these people go out for a day trip and don't take any food? Well, these people have been here for three days. Oh, I got ahead of myself. You weren't supposed to see that. (laughs) And they had nothing to eat, and he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. What is compassion? What do you do when you have a question that you don't know the answer to? You go to the internet, right? Compassion literally means to suffer together. Now, if you look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34 in the New Living Translation, it says, you suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. Literally means to suffer together. Among, back to the internet. Among emotion researchers, it is defined as the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. It's similar to empathy, something that some of us have, some of us don't. The ability to take the perspective of someone else Feel the emotions that they feel. But compassion is when those feelings and thoughts include the desire to help. So we feel what they feel, we see from their perspective, and we actually care. Put another way, empathy is about feeling with someone while compassion is about acting with care. You see someone in trouble, and you feel like pitching in. Okay, enough of the internet. What do we see of compassion in Mark? In chapter 1, Jesus had compassion on the leper, and he healed him. In chapter 5, he had compassion on the demon-possessed man, that guy that was in the tombs and uh, they put him in chains and he broke them and he had compassion and he healed, he cast out those demons. This is the same area we are today in chapter 1. In chapter 8, I mean, don't worry about the map. Um, Remember in Mark 6, 34, feeding of the 5,000, it said Jesus had compassion on them. He didn't say it there. Mark tells us that he demonstrated it. Back in in chapter 6, what did the disciples feel that day when when we're told Jesus had compassion? They said, hey Jesus, tell the crowd to beat it. Tell them to go find their own food, their own place to stay. 
They knew the people's need. They knew that they were hungry. But they didn't care to help? Didn't see a way to help? I, I cautioned us about being too hard on the disciples in all of the book of Mark um, because I fear that uh, I would be just like them. What could they possibly have done to feed 5,000 men and the women and children that were accompanying them? Question for the kids. We'll start with the kids, because then that eases the rest of us into it. Compassion means caring about other people's troubles and wanting to help them with their needs. Caring. We'll hear that word over and over. Why did Jesus have compassion for the crowd? Well, in this case, he told us. He said, I have compassion for them because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Now, do they have nothing to eat on day three because they came with food? We're kind of doing that same thing of the feeding of the 5,000, but that was only one day. They came with food, but their food ran out day one or day two. Well, I kind of don't think so because in the next verse when we get there, he says that if I send them away, they'll faint. Now, I know a little bit about fainting. Um... And uh, it, you know, it doesn't happen really day one. Um, so I, these people have legitimate need for food. He didn't say like he did in chapter 6, because they are sheep without a shepherd. He was talking to Gentiles. He was looking at Gentiles. He saw them as humans who had a need for food. That was enough. Make sure you notice, these people, 4,000 plus, chose to stay with Jesus for three days despite their need for food. When they got hungry on day one, they didn't leave, or day two. They were expecting to see something. They were expecting to hear something that was more important than food. What would you choose to miss? What would you choose not to miss, even if it made you uncomfortable? I tried to think of some examples, and uh, I thought of, now this, you know, dates some of us, but back in the 80s and 90s, uh, there used to be this thing called Black Friday that people camped out for. And, uh, you know, you'd always see on TV the, the tents at 
Best Buy or whatever, somebody trying to get a special price on a big TV, camping out there Tuesday, Wednesday before Thanksgiving, waiting for Friday morning. Those people take food with them. They call their friends or family to bring food if it ran out, or did they bail? I know on November 15th, some people spend a number of hours out in the, out in the woods, um, but I've heard that deer camp often means taking more food with you than what you bring back in pounds of deer. Um, I was reminded, well, this morning, Pastor Preston mentioned the ministry conference, and uh, it is common, you know, he, he was struggling to remember for sure that Chick-fil-A lunch, because he was one of the crowd who said, no, teacher, just keep teaching, we'll skip lunch. We've, I've heard it a lot in Sunday morning, uh, people saying, no, just keep going, dinner will be good on Tuesday. And if I send them away to their homes, they will faint on the way. Some of them have come from far away. There's some hills on that right side of that uh, Sea of Galilee. There's some rough terrain. How many of us would say, if we were the disciples, so what do you want us to do? We can't do anything to help them. We have needs today. What do you want me to do about it? I mean, really? God, you want me to make a difference? His disciples answered him in verse 4, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? I am not one who thinks that the disciples didn't remember feeding the 5,000. It wasn't that long ago. They remember. We'll come back to that. Question for the kids. A reminder. And sorry if I used a four-syllable four word previously, and that's too big. Um, that means it happened before. Jesus had previously fed more than 5,000 people with how many loaves of bread and how many fishes? You can look at the picture or you can look at the answers on the thing. Why did Jesus feed all those people back then? He had compassion on them. And we were told he wanted to test the disciples to see if they understood who he was. One of our questions in our study of Mark, I would say it's the biggest question, is, who is Jesus? Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that he is God. Now, this is one of those places where we really beat up these guys as we go through the book and we say, you saw him do that. You heard him say that. You saw him do this. Who do you think he is? How could you not know already? Jesus wanted 
them to know he was God, but he wanted to care for his people, take care of their needs. So since he fed the 5,000, and we talked about him being in Galilee and then Tyre and Sidon and back, how many times since then had Jesus fed people creating the food? Did the disciples have to go and buy food every day for themselves? Or did Jesus just make it? We're not told that other than these two occasions that Jesus ever fed, the, fed anybody this way. I mean, we did have the wine at the wedding in Cana, but um, if you, just because you were part of the miracle of feeding 5,000, would you expect, oh yeah, we can just, Jesus, you're going to do that. Would they expect him? Oh, yeah, he's going to take care of this. So when Jesus asks them, when Jesus tells them that he has compassion, and they say, how can we feed these people? Seems pretty reasonable. I'm not going to say, oh, these guys don't have any faith. These guys were natural people who knew that it takes a lot of food to feed a lot of people. So why did Jesus do this miracle here? One, I think, to show that he cared. That's what he said. He said, I have compassion for these people. I think he did it to teach his disciples that we're supposed to care about other people. Taking care of their needs is important. As Pastor Preston said a couple weeks ago, his, this trip to the Gentile areas was to break down walls. The walls between the Jews and the Gentiles. His disciples were watching him as he healed that woman's daughter of being possessed by a demon back in Tyre and, and watching him heal that man who couldn't speak and couldn't hear. And now feeding all of these people, presumably mostly Gentiles. And many of these people would be like that man in the tombs that Jesus healed And he said, I want to follow you. And what did Jesus tell him? No, you stay. You go and tell the people what Jesus has done for you. These people, some of them would understand that Jesus is the bread of life. Some of these people would understand when Jesus was crucified and rose again as the centurion said at the cross, surely this was the Son of God. Jesus is the bread of life. John 6.35 And again, last week we talked about traditions. 
One of the traditions of older people is that we use cursive still. Um, so for kids who haven't learned cursive, really I think the only letter, two letters on here that you'll struggle with are S and R. And if you can see that S, those two S's in Jesus, then you can figure out the S's all the way through. And from there, I can't see the R. So you have an R in bread, the bread of life, and at the end of whoever. And that doesn't look like the R you use, but uh, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Bread is such an important and integral part of the story of redemption throughout the Bible. We see it in the Passover dinner at the beginning in the Exodus when God freed his people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. We see it in the manna, bread from heaven, that God fed his people for 40 years in the wilderness. We saw it in the feeding of the 5,000, where mostly Jewish people were amazed at the food they missed seeing their Messiah was right in front of them. Now remember, there were some who wanted to make him king. They didn't understand that he wasn't here to free them from the Romans. But when they caught up with him the next day in Galilee, what did they ask for? More bread. They saw that physical bread and they liked it. We see the bread here being given to Gentiles. And we see that he is their redeemer too. And we will see it in the Last Supper. When Jesus tells his disciples before he goes to the cross that he is giving his body and his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and to bring us back into a relationship with God. So what did Jesus mean when he said, I am the bread of life? We heard that the disciples were afraid because they didn't understand the the meaning of the bread after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is essential for life. We heard that earlier this morning. Jesus is what matters. Jesus wasn't talking about physical life. He was talking about eternal life. He was talking about spiritual life. He's asking the people to Please stop thinking about just the physical. What is really important? Jesus was saying, I am God. I am the name that God told Moses at the burning bush. Jesus invited the people to come and believe, to place their faith in him, the Messiah, the Son of God to leave the things of the world behind and to follow him, to believe that he is who he says he is and he will do the things that he said he will do. Jesus said they would not hunger or thirst. 
but would be satisfied. Now, we read in both the 5,000 and the 4,000 that those people ate and were satisfied. Am I satisfied in Jesus? I came, I believed, I trusted Jesus to be my Savior, to take my sins upon himself. Have you? Verse 5, and he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. I think right about now the disciples knew what was happening. They didn't have to worry anymore about, okay, what are we doing? All they had to worry about was, how are we carrying all this food to them? And I don't think they were surprised. He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. May we always be thankful for God's provision. The disciples set them before the crowd. They had a few small fish. Having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. I always pray twice before I eat fish, too. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Remember last time there were 12 baskets left over, and now there are only seven. However, if you look at the word for baskets, these baskets are big baskets. These are like the baskets in Acts 9.25 where the Christians in Damascus let Paul out through a hole in the wall and down when he's under the uh, death threats. So these are big baskets. One thing I noticed is that in neither of these stories are we told what happened to that stuff. Twelve baskets? Seven big baskets? Went down to the haven, I think. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. It doesn't tell us how many believed, how many understood, how many trusted. But I think there were about 4,000 people who went and said to someone else, Jesus made me dinner from nothing. What has Jesus done for me? What has he done for you? Who are we going to tell? Immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha someplace over on the other side of the lake. You think the disciples talked on that boat ride, and what do you think they said? Do you think they still didn't understand the message of the bread? 
Or do you think maybe it was starting to get through to them? I think they had to know a little better. But next week, Jesus is going to tell them, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And what is their response going to be? Oh, no, we only have one loaf of bread. We're only just around the corner from Peter saying, you are the Christ. And what did Jesus tell him? Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. I, I think sometimes we give ourselves too much credit for what we understand. In, uh, at 9 this morning, John Johnson gave us a really good example of uh, what we can see without the Holy Spirit. It was a white screen in a snowstorm. The Holy Spirit has to reveal for us to understand, for us to grasp. Do you understand who Jesus is? How well do you understand? that Jesus is the Christ. Does my understanding, does your understanding affect the way that I respond to people around me? People who Jesus loves. Because Jesus is God, and because he had compassion on people, kids, who should you be kind to? Anyone you meet. Parents, review that Jesus story about the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 with your kids. You don't have to be a kid to review that story. For the rest of us, because Jesus is God and cared enough about people to help them, Jesus isn't asking you to help everyone. Would you care about the people he puts in front of you? Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's a pretty high bar. Colossians 3.12 13, we'll end with this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive.